Hello and welcome to Dragons Demise, a podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. On today's episode, I'm joined, as always, by Greg. Hey there. And today we have a new voice. You may have heard her at the Washington uh, Women in Gaming panel. Uh, it's our good friend, Leslie. Hello. Yay, <laughs> new people. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Leslie, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. I'm very excited to be here. I'm very passionate about board games and new voices in board games. And I don't want to talk about too much about games because we're going to do that in a minute. But I would say gaming is my number two top hobby. <laughs> yeah, I know. Knitting will always be number one. But I'm very excited to share this hobby with a lot of my friends. So. Awesome. Happy to be here. We're really glad to have you. And so let's jump in to what we have been playing. Yeah, so games. That's why we're all here. Um, I am super excited. I got to play in a bunch of RPGs this past weekend. I played as a player in my ongoing Delta Green session. Supernatural lawyer extraordinaire Jared Michaels finally bit the dust. I'm sorry to say. I was the first player casualty of the campaign. I'm not a fighter. I don't know why I ran up to a barn where a bunch of militants were holed up, but I got shot through a wall, and I died. So that was... Through a wall. Through a wall, yeah. Uh, Yeah. At at the very least, I can console myself in the knowledge that I got shot by, like, a a boss character. So that was good. And I was actually playing the character of someone else who wasn't there, so I didn't have something to do for the rest of the session. That was interesting. We'll have to to see what I re-roll if I end up re-rolling. Uh, a character we'll see where that goes Uh, and then the other rpg that i had a chance to play in this weekend was my ongoing DD campaign for my coworkers. it went very very well i'm very proud of them they fought a gelatinous cube while they were a man down and they they still managed to pull it off so three people three level two adventurers versus a gelatinous cube only one of them ever even got hit for like three whole damage Wow. So, yeah. That's pretty impressive. They did an excellent job. Weak sauce gelatinous cube. I, <laughs> it was, well, I kept trying to engulf the high dex character, and engulf in 5e just requires a dexterity saving throw to avoid of, like, 12 or something else really weak. Mm. So her character, the rogue, was just like, oh, I'm going to skip out of the way now and then stab you again with my rapier. And I was like, okay, well, this is a thing, I guess. But... I had a lot of fun uh, running the session for them, and I think they had a lot of fun playing as well. So that was always good to to hang out with them. And this was our our first session since coming back from the holidays. So it was good to kind of get everyone back into the swing of things with a little uh, raucous combat. There you go. Leslie, what have you been playing lately? Um, Well, we play play a lot of Euro games at my house. So our favorite new Euro game is Amerigo because of the cube tower. Oh, yeah, I, I've seen some videos of this. this I, you is, probably saw my yeah. video. Yep. I I can't tell you how many times we threw the cubes into the tower to get a perfect boomerang image of the cubes going in and out of the tower. Yeah. But I was very proud of that video once I got it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's pretty great, the randomness element of the Euro game, because I won't get too much into it, but it... The randomness of the tower, some cubes get stuck in the tower, mm-hmm. and that determines, help determines what actions are available to you on a particular round. Oh, so wow. So each cube is like a different color, and that, that color denotes the action, right? Right. Yep. And then every turn, mm-hmm. you throw your extra cubes into the tower, and whatever happens to p- come out, you might get to do mm-hmm. those actions, and how many actions you get to do also 
yeah. is affected by the cubes. So is it individuals like the, you just you throw to determine your actions, or is it everyone's just, actions? Everyone's actions. Okay. Mm-hmm. So huh. like all extra cubes at the end of the turn gets put in there, and then the actions come out. So. In the beginning of the game, you put all of all 40-some cubes through, yeah. and some get stuck. And then you separate all of the different colors. And then you go through, say, I can't remember, the red ones. And mm-hmm. you take all the red cubes and you throw them through. So most of them will come out, but they might get not stuck, yeah. jostle mm-hmm. out a yellow or a white cube. Sure, yeah. And if you get four red cubes, a white cube, and a yellow cube that come out, then you can do any of those three actions up to four times. Because the most thing came out for. Wow. Interesting. This is a really interesting mechanic. Yeah. Yeah, we should play it sometime. (laughs) I mean, you don't have to... I can introduce another game to you guys. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have to do much convincing. Um... (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of introducing another game. Yeah, the other game that I was going to say is getting to introduce Spirit Island to you guys was a lot of fun. Oh my God, it was. (laughs) Spirit Island has definitely become one of my very favorite games. I do like cooperative games and... Having a cooperative game where one person really cannot take over and quarterback the game is pretty amazing. And yeah. the theme is just so amazing of flipping the settlers um, and becoming the island and being able to attack the invaders as they come and take over. Fight the off lands. all the settlers. Yeah. And Kill it's them a, all. <laughs> it's a beautiful game, too. I really oh, yeah. like the artwork as well. So yeah. we'll have to play that again with the expansion. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Very much looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about it, I think, at one point. That's one of the games that we're very much looking forward to, to playing more. Yeah. Well, and, and especially based on the way you've described it with having, you know, so many other things that you can do. There's, what, 10, 12 different spirits? I know the base game comes with the four starter ones and I think three or four more. Okay. And then I have the expansion that came with two or four more and I also have the two promo ones okay so yeah so, you've got like so many different permutations of spirits that you can choose and i know with the the more advanced rule set you've actually got specific nations of enemies that you're fighting against right. so it all it sounds like it, it has the potential to be a really customizable game extremely um and it has high replay value so definitely looking forward to that yep. for sure and then last but not least, Big J, what you been playing? I've been playing a few smaller games, actually. So first off, perennial favorite, or at least since we started playing it, Fantasy Realms. Oh, instant classic. Yep. So I taught two new people that uh, this weekend, and uh, we got through, I think it was like three or four different games. And I don't think I won, I think I may have won one, but I'm not even sure if I did. I think it was either I won one or lost all three. But... <laughs> But I mean that that just shows how the game like really works pretty well, like even with new players. Mm-hmm. And I I really enjoy playing it. I think it's it's one of my favorite like just small box kind of like let's play this. It, it, each round takes like twenty minutes and decently easy after the first round to like get everyone into it. And the mechanics themselves are extremely simple. So I had a lot of fun playing that. I realized how certain cards can, uh, you really, really have to read them for sure. I got screwed by uh, uh, Blizzard at least once, in which it blanked like two of my other cards, so I got zero points from both of them. Yeah, (laughs) elemental strategies are always such a gamble. Yeah, and and then uh, the funny part was in the two out of the other four games that we played, uh, someone got screwed by the Blizzard. First it was me, and then it was one of the other new players. They picked it up and almost blanked their entire hand. It was just like, you, you forget about that like one thing. It's just like, oh, wait, I forgot that this was the, the thing. I, I remembered like literally right before, right after I finished my last turn. <laughs> and then I was just like, oh, God, 
I hope that it comes back to me. I hope that it comes back to me. And they ended before it got back to me. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> Feels bad, man. Yeah. But it, but it was still a lot of fun. I mean, that's the kind of game that you could just keep playing over and over and mm-hmm. over. And then the other game I got to play, and this is one that I haven't had that much success, like teaching new people, until this one, is Gloom. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a fun game, but it's also one that becomes like exponentially more fun as you make the stories for the characters. Mm-hmm. Right. That's Be- the one with the clear cards, yes, right? Yes, exactly. It has the clear cards, so that's cool in itself. Right. And, and the fact that you can like make up, you know, how did she get pursued by poodles? Like, what happened between <laughs> like, you know, the, yeah, the her being there, or like, you know, what connections can you make between the different cards? And and that just makes it a lot of fun. And it's it's got like this macabre feel to it and mm-hmm. everything. And I really enjoyed it when I got to play it this weekend. And the other person I was playing with also really liked it, especially the little bit of the storytelling narrative aspect of it that yeah. you, that you can add. And I think there there are definitely certain games that you need that narrative aspect in order to make them mechanics more interesting. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And it also I think it makes the game not just more playable but more fun. You know, yeah. lighten up a little bit of levity. I think you could probably do that with a lot of other games too if you oh, kind for of. Sure constructed this narrative around the decisions that you're making spirit island i think would be a great example for that but plenty of other games as well we really like spirit island (laughs) you're going to be hearing a lot more about that game so just be prepared for that strap in exactly well there you have it that's a look at what we've been playing lately turnip wine here some of the finest turnip wine i'll take two demons for it uh how about how about two crystals uh, maybe, maybe some tentacles? Uh, I have some tentacle chowder if you want. Uh, Shrikas? Shrikas would take you on a nice journey to pick glowing moss? Yes, Shrika? And welcome to the City of Iron. And there we go. So, let's go ahead and jump right in. The City of Iron is a game by Red Raven Games. It, of course, has their, uh, signature art style, which is amazing. Absolutely stunning. But one of the differences here is that this game has no dice. Yes, which is rare for a, a Red Raven game. Yeah. So let's jump into talking about how you can play this game. Sure. So City of Iron is sort of a, a Euro game, but not necessarily the most traditional. It goes through a series of rounds. Each game takes seven rounds. And within each round, you have a number of actions that you can perform. So these are things like building buildings, attacking towns, using special abilities from cards in your hand. But all in all, the thing that you're trying to do really is acquire resources. There are several different types of resources. Again, this is very stock and trade for both Euro games and Red Raven games. And the more that you have of each, the more points that you're going to get during the scoring phases that happen at the end of rounds three, five, and seven. And uh, there are four factions that you can play as. Unlike a traditional Euro game, you're not just playing as blue, green, red, or yellow. You are you're more than just the color. <laughs> you're playing as <laughs> the scholars or the hogs or the toads. What was they? The toad. Uh, toad toad inventors of Ohm yes. or something like so, that. And each faction has its own different mechanics. Each faction has a deck of cards. And you accumulate those cards, you buy them at the end of uh, each round as you go through the game, and you can choose which to play at which time, and you sort of 
choose the order that you discard them in so that you can pick them up. But also each faction has its own unique cards or unique mechanics. So I played as the Scholars today and they, for example, don't have to pay an extra coin to get science. You just have to have a worker to get your science. Maybe a little bit smarter in the scholars in the <laughs> in the high up in the mountains. Um, gifted and talented. Gifted and talented. Exactly. Which I really like actually about the game that you're not just choosing a color. Yeah, each faction has is unique and has a, uh, a specialty: war, science, and other things like that. And one of the cool parts about this game is that. It is, uh, Greg mentioned this when we were discussing, that it is almost like a 4X game. Mm-hmm. Like it's a Euro-style 4X game, which is not something that you normally see put together. And you have to almost like develop your your city and like get some science, get some other things going in order to explore and like find floating islands and find and like conquer these other towns and bring them into your empire and things like that. There's a lot of different things that you can use it for. And, and, and thematically, it really works, which is cool. Because, for example, in order to get, a, get an explorer, one of the people that you can have in your deck, you need to have a science, which are rep- represented by these books as resources. So you can't just buy everything. You actually have to develop it in certain ways. And then you can really see the advantages of something like the Toes of Ohm, who are able to get that science without having to pay that extra coin. They only have to use the resources that are on the cards. And each of the cards also has like some sort of uh, resource. Normally it has two. It can either have like distance they can travel. It can have guns, which represent how much might they have pretty much to conquer things. Or they can have hammers in which they are uh, pretty much just building up the city itself. Right. And these stats get into really the nitty gritty of how the system works, which is Anytime you take a non-standard action, so things other than build, basically, you're going to be called upon to spend stats from your hand. If you want to attack a town, you have to contribute not only a certain number of guns to overcome that town's defenses, but also a certain number of distance stats. You, You basically have to travel to this location before you can attack it. And the distance mechanic is also used for exploration. So at the start of the game, you have your city which is on a, it's called a land tile, and it has certain types of terrain on it, which can support certain types of buildings. But throughout the game, you'll encounter certain types of buildings that can't be on the terrains of your starting land. So you have to explore, which means you have to acquire an explorer, you have to use that explorer, and then contribute distance stat equal to the distance of whichever land it is that you want to explore. And the further ones, the ones that can support the more interesting the more powerful the late game buildings they're further away and sometimes they even require additional stuff that you have to invest in technologies like airships sailing things like that so there's really a built-in staggering i would i would suppose like there's time gates in the game but it's not quite as drastic as okay this is phase one this is phase two it's just a matter of do you prioritize airships or do you prioritize just raw military strength and so each of these choices are sort of left up to the player which is something that I really appreciate. I have to say, the game is a little hard to explain, and I think I picked a difficult game for our the first game to help review with you guys. Because I'm as I'm talking about it, the more I talk about it, the more there is to explain. You go big or go home, right? <laughs> That's yeah. true, absolutely. So I think one of the other things is the resources. Yeah. 
and just how they work. So you get resources. This game is pretty much like all about resources. Yeah. Whether or not you're building up your own city and building that terrain, whether you're taking towns and like getting their resources or whether you're exploring somewhere far away, it's all in the pursuit of all these resources. Definitely. And depending on which phase you're on, if you're early game, you can always only really get the basic resources. But then, and Leslie, your favorites are the uh, the crystals. Yes. <laughs> which are fully like late game resources, uh, mid to late game. Normally. Right. Yep. And you can't put them on your starting land tile. You have to have a different land type in order to acquire the crystals. They're just prettier. Uh, and they're worth a lot of points, so yep. that's a bonus. One nice thing, though, about the resources that are more expensive and that require knowledge to obtain is once you've obtained one and you've paid the knowledge to obtain that particular resource, for example, the glowing moss or the shiny crystals or the tentacles, once you've paid the knowledge once, you don't have to pay it again. If you luck out and your first building is two monies and one knowledge you might be able to pick up the next one for just three or four or five monies and not have to have the extra knowledge to acquire that resource yeah which is a really cool mechanic that like you know also ties into a theme which is not something that you normally hear about euro games <laughs> <laughs> that's true so it's like yes i already know how to herd the shrika or how to harvest the glowing moss. So I don't really have to use like the, the science in order to get more of that. I just have to, you know, pay for the land or pay for the building. Right. Or the, you know, magical crystal cavern. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As the case may be. And each of the resources themselves, like once you get more and more of them, whoever has the most is the one who gets like the most points. So usually a first and second place person gets points during those third, uh, seventh and no, third, third fifth, fifth and, and seventh. seventh rounds and that's like i think the major point generator in the game yeah absolutely and also the the margins are really quite small and this is another thing that's interesting about the game is that it's not just you're building up this engine and you're trying to make it better and better every single time so that it pays off one time at the very end of the game you've got three scoring rounds throughout the game so you have to make sure not just that you're building up your capacity but also that you're able to score points at rounds three and five not just at round seven so you have to be competitive in at least a few resources to eke out two points here one point here so that maybe at the end of the game when your engine does pay off big time you're not so far behind that you can't catch up anymore and i think that balance of whether to invest heavily in yourself or to invest heavily in resources is something that's done very well especially since the resources give you income as well as points yeah and a lot of the times you're you're almost doing this on spurts and i think that that especially ties into the victory point rounds because you you're going to build up like resources in, in one or two rounds and then during the victory point round you're just going to try to get as many of like the the different resources as possible in order to get those points in order to, you know, beat out someone by that one shrieka or that one crystal or something like that, a little bit of salt, just to get the, those extra points. Because right. those are the rounds that matter. If you have the most in all the other rounds, good for you. whoop de doo Well, you do get coins for that. You do get coins. That is true. And coins buy you more cards and coins buy more buildings. And so that's also important. True. true yeah, it it's definitely, it's a very delicate balance. And I think one that's executed fairly well. But having said that... You know, no game is perfect. 
and I think this game is no exception. One of the things in particular is that the military strategy, which we've referenced a little bit, where you build up your guns and your distance stats Mm -hmm. and go and attack towns which contain resources, and the building strategy, which is where you build up sort of your hammer and your economy and get gold and purchase buildings to put in your town, are not terribly integrated. If you have people playing a primarily building strategy and people playing a primarily military strategy, you're just going to be playing completely past each other. And Euro games are already a genre where people frequently complain about a lack of player interaction. And I think when one of your core mechanics is to fragment that gameplay even further, it just exacerbates that problem. I think, for me, the, the biggest challenge is probably setup. I play this game at home with my husband a lot, and usually we just play it two players. And it's a lot of setup mm-hmm. for two players. It's a yeah, big time sure. investment. You know, it's like, okay, how are we going to spend our evening? We're going to play City of Iron. We're going to spend a half an hour or more pulling out all of the pieces and setting it up so that we can play. And we love the game, so we do it. But it's it's definitely a time investment that we have to be willing to commit to. So that can be hard. There's a lot of pieces because you're using each of your pieces to track each of your resources and then track how much money you're getting in. And there's just a lot of moving parts to keep track of, which can be frustrating. I would say the other challenge I've run into it, as you know, I mentioned earlier, is explaining the game to new players. I bought this game, Sight Unplayed, at Gen Con because... I love Red Raven games, and I have a history. Another fan. (laughs) (laughs) I have, you know, I I, I loved Above and Below, and I was in line to buy Islebound, and I saw that they had City of Iron 2nd Edition Kickstarter version there still, and so I just bought it. (laughs) And, uh, And so we sort of taught ourselves how to play it, but we sat down to teach another, a couple, how to play, and they are seasoned gamers, and they just were completely turned off and we couldn't figure out why because we loved the game so much but it was just there was too many parts to explain i guess it's very fiddly yeah it it does have a lot of moving parts and and just keeping track of them is whenever you're looking at money i think that that's one of the biggest things it's just like uh, every round it's a little bit different because you know someone as you mentioned like got more of the resource than you so now you don't have all that money that you did before or something like that or you beat someone out or other things like that so there is a lot going on. Actually, a friend of mine said that they love the game, but their brains hurt after the first <laughs> playthrough. Mm-hmm. That means you're doing it right. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> no pain, no gain. <laughs> but that all being said, let's go on to you know, what we think of the game as a whole. Greg, what's your rating? I like this game. Uh, City of Iron 2nd Edition is a buy it from me. This is one of the handful of games that I personally own. And don't just have to, you know, leech off of Jacob for. And I think it's great. It's very intense. It's long and brain burny, but it does what it does very, very well. So if you like resource management, if you like having control over what your economy is doing because of the way that the citizens deck works and the way that you construct your buildings and that sort of thing. If you like just that city building resource acquiring engine type game. I think you'll love City of Iron, and it's definitely a buy it for me. All right. Leslie? As I said, I, I bought it on side unplayed, so it's absolutely a buy it for me. I do love Euro games, and the fact that this is a Euro game that I can focus on 
those crunchy mechanics while also looking at the beautiful artwork in the game. And I can play a different faction to get a slightly different version of the game. And there's a lot of different extremely viable strategies to try. Replayability is really important. And mm -hmm. this game definitely has that. I might not teach it to a lot of my friends. I might just hand them the rule book. Uh, <laughs> and because the problem always becomes, well, you didn't tell me about this card that was going to come up. Well, can't explain everything. That's fine. That's Greg's job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a buy it. I own it and I'm glad I do. And it gets regular play. So yeah. And uh, we have a three-way agreement on this one mm -hmm. because I'm going to go for definite buy it on this one for me as well. I love the game. It is very interesting and just like how strategic it can be because you, you know, exactly what cards are going to come up in terms of your deck and that, like, when everything's going to come up you have uh, you have to very deliberately choose when you and and what order you use your cards in to you know make sure that they're coming up in the right order later on all that and it just as i mentioned a few times earlier the theme really when you think about it plays into the mechanics like the the science, like learning how to do this and then later on not having to pay more science in order to, to do something. Just, it really helps a lot with making this a very immersive kind of game. And everyone knows I'm a sucker for the artwork. It's true. Red Raven Games, Ryan Lacotte, like his artwork is amazing. And this game is no different. Just the style, the different factions, all the different like, people that you can get and put into your city and just like everything from an iron dragon to like, you know, a junk bot or other things like that. Or like your own, your own personal like people that are specialized just for your faction. There's a lot to love in this game. Though we did notice the tax collector looks the same in every city, which is suspect. Yep. <laughs> I guess he goes around everywhere. <laughs> Tax collector is God. <laughs> okay, I don't know if that's the direction that I took it, but so says right. the accountant. We get, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That, that probably does have something to do with it. Um, real quick before we go, as always, we do want to touch on a few games that we think you'll enjoy if you like City of Iron or vice versa. The first of those is Seven Wonders. A lot of similarities here in terms of you're building your city a lot of establishing your resource base so that you can acquire bigger and better things, final scoring, scoring throughout the game. Seven Wonders does have the advantage, if you like that sort of thing, of slightly more player interaction. You're going to have combat with the people on your left and on your right. If you want some of that tension, but like City of Iron's core gameplay, I think Seven Wonders is a perfect game. It also has the advantage of having seven players, Max. Also very true. Also, this is a little bit of a stretch, but bear with me. I believe that there's a similarity with Concordia. Newly obsessed Concordia in my house. I played a lot of it there for a while. And Concordia has the deck of cards, and each of the cards has a different role, similarly to City of Iron. You're not playing them each turn and then picking them back up. You pick the cards up in Concordia all at the same time. But there's still the, the exploration component as well as the sort of resource component where you're collecting wine and you're collecting fabric and you're collecting different things. Not, in my opinion, necessarily as exciting as glowing magical crystals and tentacles and demons, 
But um, uh, I think that there are a few similarities in uh, the gameplay of those two games. So if you like Concordia, but are looking for something a little bit more thematic or more better artwork, (laughs) (laughs) um, then maybe try City of Iron. And there you go. That's our review of City of Iron, second edition. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope you enjoyed it. We were also super happy to be joined by Leslie on this week's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed some of that as well, and we very much look forward to having her back in the future. As always, check us out on our weekly Wednesday stream, and special announcement, we're going to be doing a Magic the Gathering draft, uh, the new Unstable set, on January 27th. That's a Saturday. We're going to have some friends over. We're going to draft. It's an incredibly goofy set. So if you want to watch us pretend that we know how to play Magic, you should check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully you'll get to watch someone get their ass kicked super hard. That's all for us. Join us next week for our first RPG-focused session of the new lineup.